You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. What is your view on Calvinism? Is the evangelical church becoming more Calvinist? I mean, what a simple question for you to answer, Dr. E. Right, (laughs) two two little sentences, less than eight words each. Um, Okay, let let me begin by saying uh, I I love my Reformed friends, love, love, love them. I have some what I'll call arch-Reformed friends who don't love me. (laughs) So let's just get that on the table. I I have actually, this past year, you you know this, Hannah, I took a deep dive into the life of Luther. Mm -hmm. And I've been reading biographies and listening to lectures there's a guy named Philip Carey out of uh, Eastern uh, Philadelphia area, and he's, I don't know, 30-plus lectures on the life of Luther. Uh, Iko, H-E-I-K, Iko Oberman's book on Luther is a phenomenal read. Um, but I've done a deep dive on Luther. I don't know if I'll go to Calvin. I've just jumped to back further to Augustine right now. I'm in reading the Confessions, but that's boring But uh, for you. Uh, but but <laughs> Calvinism, it, it's a first of all, what John Calvin taught, to be as open-handed as I can be on this, Calvinism does not necessarily represent accurately what John Calvin taught. Sure. Uh, Lutheranism does not necessarily yeah. reflect what Luther taught. To understand John Calvin and Martin Luther, are it's not. there's no shortcut. This is where uh, we need to you know pull off our thinking caps and do some homework. I mean— I've been doing this now for almost 40 years. I'm still learning about Luther. Uh, one of the challenges is Luther's anti-Semitism. There's no way around it. He hated the Jew. Calvin has some baggage that you just can't say lock, sock, and barrel. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Calvinist without understanding it. What's happened is the popularized viewpoints of these things have become, let's say, I won't say faddish, but they've come into more interest today. People are more interested in the so-called Reformed Church, the Reformed Movement. And even that's a loaded term. Uh, are you Dutch Reformed? Are you are you Reformed along the Calvinistic five-point tulip reformation? Are you Reformed Theological Seminary? So it, it's a broad term. It's like saying evangelical. What in the world do we mean? So let me see if I can give you some help. When it comes to how we're saved— or what we call the doctrine of soteriology. I am as reformed as you can be. I believe in the doctrines of election and predestination, and I think most Bible-teaching churches would, would teach that. And granted, those are loaded doctrines, but this was part of what the Reformation was doing. Remember, these Reformers, John Calvin, earlier, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Melanchthon, these Reformers were Catholic priests. People forget this. They think they were uh, Protestant church folks. Well, they were protesting against the uh, egregious natures of indulgences and many other issues that were going on with the one church at the time, which was the Catholic Church. Whether you've got those in France, those in in, in Swiss reformers, you have all these different branches. So it's very um, difficult to say, am I reformed? Am I Calvinist? Am I you know, reformed evangelical or whatever appendage you want to put on that. Because what the local church expression means by this thing may not be a simple definition of Calvinism. Now, the so-called TULIP, the five-point T-U-L-I-P acrostic, which you can look up at your leisure, uh, I do not think is a fair representation of John Calvin's teaching. It is a simple way 
of distilling a large part of what Calvin taught. So the five points of the tulip, T being total depravity, U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, I, irresistible grace, and P, perseverance of the saints, T-U-L-I-P. I think this is a popular expression to try to encompass a lot of what John Calvin taught. I do not believe it is precise in every way. And let's just look at two areas where I would have a little tension. Under the phrase limited atonement, the idea that uh, Christ's sacrificial death, the atoning work of Christ's blood, was only for the elect. I believe in unlimited atonement, meaning Christ's blood is sufficient for all who will come to salvation. Some of the passages that the so-called Calvinists would hold to, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch in Michael Easley's viewpoint that you can say this is limited by the nature of his atonement. So when Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, that's not universalism that all are going to come to Christ. That does mean when he's crucified, people are going to be drawn to the work of Christ. Uh, One of the passages they will appeal to is John 10. I know my sheep, they know me, they hear my name, they follow me, and that's, that's limited. I would simply say, no, the call of Christ goes out to the elect, and the elect respond. But to limit Christ's efficacy of paying for sin seems to uh, be a bridge too far from what Scripture does tell us, that his blood is sufficient for all sin. And I think it's an unnecessary qualification to put on the gospel. The idea of perseverance of the saints is a very interesting phrase. When the average person hears that, they say a saint will persevere to the end. What it really means is that Christ's work in you perseveres until the end. And this is an area where Calvinists in the pew, I would say, sometimes don't know what's being taught by Calvinism. Uh, We hear the phrase, once saved, always saved, is kind of a poor cliche, but that the elect, the believer, when he or she trusts Christ, they are eternally secure. The perseverance of the saints says they will never fall away. We have to be careful with that. Was Calvin talking about the person persevering by faith or the Holy Spirit persevering in that person. And I would call this, again, it's a bridge too far what the text tells us. Sanctification is certainly taught in the New Testament. So let me back up because I'm a bit in the in the ditch. I'm not angry at Calvinism. I'm not angry at, at those who would call their themselves reformers. I do find uh, some of my reformed friends, and I pejoratively call them my arch-reformed friends, are very unhappy with me because I won't hold to uh, some of their uh, strict views of limited atonement in particular. But I will go back to sola scriptura, sola fide, as being two of the five solas that mark the Reformation. Are we going back to scripture and are we going back to faith? So rather than being called a Calvinist or a Reformed person, I'd rather be called a Biblicist. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I would rather go back to see what the text says. Um, so to answer your question, I, I can't answer, is the evangelical church becoming more Calvinistic? I do believe there is a movement among many churches back toward a Reformed theology. Part of that is because evangelicalism has become very watered down. And many evangelical churches are not teaching the scripture. And, uh, and I don't think that's an overstatement. Most evangelical churches are are deluded. They're not teaching scripture. 
Uh, we can see when our, our college kids come back home, they don't believe uh, what we hope they believed when they were younger. Uh, they've been uh, by the campus, by the church they attended in their college town. They've, quote, walked away from evangelicalism. And, and we could dissect this endlessly. But there's, without question, there's a shift in the Western church. We're losing people to the evangelical church. Some of that's the church's fault. Some of that is what we've talked about in earlier uh, Ask Dr. E questions. Uh, we're living in an environment that worships diversity, worships self, worships uh, tolerance, and these words have been overused and outstretched their meaning, and it means we can't disagree. There's no truth. It's your truth. What's true for you, n- nomenclature, which is nonsense. So it's a sad division, um, and yet... If Reformation brings us back to the text, I'm going to be a cheerleader. So I'm happy to embrace uh, a Reformed thinking. I'm happy to embrace a Reformed soteriology. I'm happy to learn from the Reformed fathers, but I will not worship at the church fathers. I will not worship at Luther or Calvin or Zwingli or Melanchthon or some of these heroes of the Reformation. Remember, they were trying to reform the Catholic Church. The word Protestant really became pejorative. Those protesters, and when when the Bible's translated into German, it's an atrocity that the Bible is taken out of the control of the Catholic Church and put into the hands of the commoner. And these issues we have forgotten historically. So um, it's an interesting time. Uh, I do think you can belong to an evangelical or reformed church, and you can have some differences of opinion and be uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, where it becomes challenging is when you say what's true and does that overtake what the scripture says? And so this is where most of the argument seems to fall. Um, and I'm prattling again, but it's a complicated question. I love my reformed friends, but uh, sometimes the arch reformed folks, I think are, are pushing things a little too far. And the evangelical is very guilty of watering down the text of becoming too popular and its approach to the scripture, and uh, oh, by the way, the sermon series on irrelevant things as opposed to getting people into the word, which at the end of the day, I think is what, certainly what I want to do. If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694, or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.